George Kritikos here to talk to you about the Player Raider podcast. Along with co-host Ryan McDowell, we leverage the DLF player valuation tools and help inform you on your dynasty roster strategies. Whether you're joining a new startup, rebuilding a team, or maybe you're just not quite at contention level yet, we help you understand player values and how to really drive your team forward as dynasty owners. Tune in and enjoy the show. the Dynasty Crossroads. I'm Peter Howard, P.A. Howdy on Twitter, the single, solitary, and lonely co-host of this here fine DLF podcast. This is part two of an interview I did with Ray G, Dre Garvin, or Ray GQ on Twitter, um, host of DLF's Devi podcast. Um, we split it into different sections because we ended up having a long and what I thought was fairly interesting conversation that I didn't want to reduce down to just 30 minutes. So instead I've separated it into separate parts. This is part two and we left off in part one talking about Henry Ruggs and how I thought his production indicated at this point in early pre-draft process that he probably wouldn't be a great fantasy asset because he'd never dominated in college. Um, so I'm going to jump right back in there where I get right back to it. So thanks for coming back to the crossroads and let's jump right back into it. Thanks. Like, I don't think he'll ever have a top 24 season if you want me to put a cap on it. Just from what I know right now. And what else That's What, what else telling. would you need to know in order to adjust that stance? If he gets drafted in the first round, how much does that change how you view him? If we've got to play that theory, we've got to play the rest of that out. If he goes in the first round, he's going to rise because draft capital means a lot. It means opportunity. But then he's going to look like Kevin White, okay. Laquan Trebois. In fact, he's going to okay. look worse than those guys. Um, he's going to look like a guy who's going to get thrown opportunity because he was overdrafted. But, and like I did a live stream today, and I say, you know, it's ridiculous to just take the one thing and then throw a player out. If he gets drafted in the first round, I'm going to be fine with his ADP rising. I'm going to be fine with him being one of the first wide receivers off the board. But I am going to be more nervous to draft him. And if and to play the whole thing out, if Tyler Johnson gets drafted in the second round and he's in the first round and they're back-to-back in ADP and I'm on the clock and I can't trade back, I, I'm going to lead Tyler Johnson. I guess that's, that's what, you know, it's difficult to play the theory No, out. that's fair. And I, and I just I wanted to challenge that. And by, by the way, even though I don't have him ranked 19th, I am a little bit lower on Henry Ruggs. I had high hopes for him coming into 2019. But I am concerned that he was at times the third or fourth option on that team. And the fact that he didn't hit those thresholds and what data and history tells us, I've never heard it said like that. But if he is drafted in round one, if he's Laquan Treadwell or Michael Floyd or one of those guys like that, I'm, I'm... See, Michael Floyd actually looked pretty did, good. Did he look good? <laughs> he looked okay. <laughs> Again, that's why it's ridiculous just to ignore the fact. If the NFL yeah. thinks he's great, if a team is willing to reach on him, if the film says great things, then you know, you can't argue with his ADP rising if he gets first-round mm-hmm. draft capital. You just can't. 
because that means something and there's more there's the things that aren't being counted that i can't look at which is a gray area like if if everything was counted like and he still looked bad then i'll, I'll, say, I'll say this like it's not all counted <laughs> I, I don't think based off of what i've seen out of henry ruggs for three years at alabama i have zero confidence that he could be a wide receiver one for an nfl team just based off of what i've seen and that's without looking at the data any of that, I, I have no confidence that he can be a top 12, uh, consist, a, a top 12 wide receiver finish, period. Uh, 24, I don't know. I, I've got my concerns there as well. Um, okay, so we basically agree we hate Henry Ruggs. I don't know what all the comeuppance is about. Like, why doesn't everyone... Now, let's get to why you do actually like him. I guess I should allow... You know, I mean, he's, that he does do something good. Like, what what's he doing that makes him rise for you? Even though, like you said, he's not earning receptions of uh, top three guys. He's not producing yards, and his overall stinky. Well, I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. Is going to be great in the NFL. I just don't think fantasy. I, well, I think I just be clear. I, I, think here. <laughs> that I think he may be a better real NFL asset than he is a fantasy football asset. He's not a volume receiver. He's a big play guy, right? And I think a lot of times, I know for me. We're looking for the next Tyreek Hill. We want that guy, and I think we should probably be more mindful of chasing oh, you think that outlier. He, he, well, he is fast. It is no thought about it. He is fast. He's very fast, um, and he's 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 physical-ish, uh, but he's he, he's athletic as hell. He can go get go get fifty fifty balls. He can jump up, but he's fast. That's that's the Henry Ruggs claim to fame. He's he's not a volume guy. He's not this route running savant. He's not this great. He's just fast. He's faster than everybody else, and we're chasing that. We're chasing the allure of Tyreek Hill. Just weird. Probably it's not weird good process. Probably not. Probably not good process. I get it. I understand it. So is that really why people like him? He's, yes. He just looks I, I, really. Good I'm not even. I'm not fast. being funny. Like that's that's it. He's fa- he's going to. The, the the early betting odds are is he's going to break the uh, John Ross record or push for breaking that record at the combine. Oh, wow. Okay. I had yeah. no idea. Um, but I'm glad to convince you to yes, take him Yes, I'm moving him down. That's great. Um, <laughs> um, and, that, yeah, that's the drill I mean. He, and I think production is better. Like, everyone wants to talk in terms of perspective of hits. Who's going to hit? Who's going to be great? And I love that, don't get me wrong, but it's almost easier to see the guys that don't fit the model. It's almost easier to see the more likely busts than it is the more likely hits. Like, all these players get better over time. Players that get talked about so much because people are watching them, they're obviously doing stuff that's impressive, right? Uh, This many people can't be wrong, but then you get to the first round draft capital and you see Laquan Tramwell and and Kevin White or even, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some other names here. Philip Dossett, but no one really yeah. likes Philip <laughs> And nah. Brashad Perryman. And they just look like sore thumbs in the group of first-round prospects that did well. They just look so... They just stand out as people, players that... For the one thing that all players, most players, seem to do before they're good in the NFL, which is be good in college compared to their teammates. That's percentage. Mm-hmm. That's what market share is. They, they just stick out a little bit. So we'll have to see what the draft brings, I guess. Um, I had something there. Well, can I can I ask you about the teammate thing? I, I, I talked to you about it on Twitter. Yeah. Tell me about this, this teammate score metric. I know you don't have one per se, but there are people out there that say 
there should be some adjustments for if a player plays on a team where you had X number of players hit a certain, like, what is this teammate score that I keep hearing about? What is this? All right, from the top, um, teammate score, the idea behind it, and I don't, I guess people might call it different things. I always make up my own names. I think sound cool and then no one likes them. So I'm guessing other people do too. But the idea is that you grade who they're playing with um, so if they're playing in the Big 12, it's different than the, if they're playing the SEC or, you know, the ACC. I'm just reading a list here. I really don't know college <laughs> or what are, what other conferences there are that exist. So Pac-12, is that yep. a thing? Um, and beyond that, if you, like you were saying with Henry Ruggs, if you're playing um, on a team with, you know, three DeAndre Hopkins then it's reasonable to expect it's harder to earn. And that that's fair. It's a fair logical conclusion. I just have never got there because I haven't seen it in the data, so I haven't made the, the story. But it is a fair story, a logical story on the face of it. Now, so the idea is you rate that. You rate who they're playing with, their competition level, and then you make a teammate score. So, you know, I don't know any... Any that I've tested don't work well. I've tried Draft Capital... So you look at the draft capital of all the players that they've played with during their time. You kind of add it up. You create a number out of it. And then you grade it, right? This guy was playing against better competition because these guys were drafted earlier. And then you adjust production for that because it's harder to produce with more stiff competition. The problem with it is, like I say, the ones I've looked at and the one I tried to make didn't work. It didn't increase how many players we got right or wrong. And that goes back to sample sizes. Like I was saying, the only outlier I really admit to, or the only person I call a very clear outlier to, you know, the general rules that I use is Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas played in Ohio. I think that's a team in a conference. <laughs> that's all I know about it. Um, but famously, apparently, everyone tells me now that Ohio is a team that doesn't pass a lot. Well, that doesn't matter because we're using the percentage of the team yard. So if they pass for 200 yards or 7,000, it's just about how much of it was him. But every year, he was under the average, and not just under the average of successful players, under the average of average players for his team. Now, there is no doubt Michael Thomas is one of the best in the NFL right now at the wide receiver position. And that's one of the things, you know, every player plays different but like there's no way to see it in production he did break out he was better than henry fucking rugs but um he he looked bad he looked like a laquan trend where i looked like these guys that aren't good in fact a little lower than some of those names that i've been throwing out so yeah that that's you could call it a clear miss, or as I do, he's just a clear outlier. Now, people like Tyree Kill, Wes Welker, even Andre Johnson, these other names people like to throw out, there's always something that I think would have adjusted our expectations. Like, uh, Michael Thomas played three, four, four, four years in college. Uh, he didn't miss a lot of games. There was no reason that he shouldn't have produced since he was that good um, compared mm -hmm. to the average. But Tyreek Hill could barely get yeah. in the field. He changed college teams, I think, three times. It was in a community college. Like, we could understand, okay, this guy was barely on the... That's why he doesn't have numbers. Wes Welker played running back. Um, Julian Edelman played quarterback. Andre Johnson played outside of my sample size, if I remember right. Vincent Jackson only played one year of Division Two ball, if I remember right. There were, there's always something that you could look at to say that it would be unreasonable to... We just don't know. That doesn't mean they're good. But we wouldn't know, so we could we wouldn't ding them so hard. Michael Thomas is the only one I can point to that has none of those questions about, and clearly production just didn't tell us he was good. 
Um, now, the reason I'm going through all of that is the, why I don't have a teammate score and why I don't think one would work. And while it makes really logical sense to complain about the competition is there's, it happens really rarely that you get these good NFL players playing on the same college team. It does happen. But you ha- like I can only name three or four instances off the top of my head. If we dig harder, we could probably, you know, maybe we could increase it to 20 if we increase, you know, the type, the level of player we want. Maybe Cole Beasley played with someone who's pretty good in the NFL kind of a thing. But, like, all my other samples, all my other uh, conclusions are based on, you know, every player drafted since okay. 2000. So they're not great sample sizes, but they're a lot bigger. So with so few examples, any rule you make is going to be highly prone yes. to variance. Um, because when you're just looking at one example, everyone understands this, uh, that you know that one example is not going to compare to anyone else. It's an entirely individual example. You need more than one example. And when you can only pull together five examples, any teammate score you're going to get is going to struggle. What it's going to do is discount players who are really good and when you just look at it straight, and it's going to improve other players who are really bad because you're adjusting them down, and it's going to pull in all this noise to the sample because the num- the adjustments you can make, just there's not enough data to make them. Now, having said that, sorry, this is long, but like um, the Breakout Finder says they have a teammate score they use in their model, and the Breakout Finder is a really good app. It's a really good product. It's a really good model. And probably a lot better than the ones I have. Like, I'm not a statistician. These guys are professionals with websites and teams. <laughs> what the fuck do I know? But I can't find right. how they're doing it. Um, and that's as much as I know. Like, um, the the breakout finder says they can. So, I, you know, they're not fucking lying. They, they test right. their data better than I test mine. But I can't see a way of doing it. I can't see how okay. it could work. Um, but... I think you'd have to be maybe have a lot more time, have a team to adjust it on individual players. Like for Henry Ruggs, you do it, but you don't do it for, you know, wide receiver X that no one's ever heard of. Like you'd have to go through individually and adjust when you know, or you, the tape tells a set of players good. And that way, that way maybe it could work, but I'm not, I'm just one guy with a spreadsheet out here with a dream. (laughs) I'm not going to make those kind of high level, uh, well-funded kind of adjustments um, and that's where someone like me like goes to Zach Reed or he goes to you or he goes to someone else who can uh, who can bring in some other variables that we can't test but you've got a great eye you've done a lot of work you you can make you can tell us more and and used to adjust it and to be fair that's why like I took Michael Thomas at 1.7 in his draft numerous times in that rookie year despite everything I said him being an outlier Everyone said he was good. I loved everything I heard out of the kid's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he went there and all those stories about him, you know, meeting up with Drew Brees and saying, I'm going to work, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, you can adjust for it as long as you're not, you know, a malicious. As long as you understand, and this is what I tell everyone, like, you don't have to like the numbers that I like, but look at some evidence, look at a history, find out where what it can tell you, where it, what it can't, what it got wrong, what it got right, and then at least you know what you've got. Right. And then make up your own make up your own theories, make up your own story. And as long as you're doing that, I mean that that's the best we can do, I think. because yeah. we're not all well-funded, you know, uh, companies. And the best we can do is understand what information we have and the limitations of it. And so that's what I try and do. Okay. But that's what teammate score is, and that's why I don't have one because I I can't figure out a way of making it work. And it's a little like per game dominator that way, by the way. Like I tested college dominator, which isn't great, but
but it's useful. It's very descriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people like doing per game dominated to try and not miss on DK Metcalf, basically. Right. You know, he didn't play a lot, but he was very dominant in the few games he played. Right. But again, when I and I wrote that article for FS Statistics, which is now, you know, part of DLF, so I guess it's not there anymore. But um, what it ended up doing when I looked at what it did to the samples of players, when you filtered by per the game or you filtered by straight college dominator, the names that came into the sample as good players, it brought in players that were bad that were again adjusted um, b- because we were doing per game. They were just bad. They weren't productive and they weren't good in the NFL. And then it was downgrading good players by making their production look less because they were really productive over a whole season, but they played all 16 games, so they weren't getting an adjustment up, so it brought them down. And it just and it put all this noise in the sample just for the sake of grabbing these one or two outliers, like DK Metcalf, maybe... We don't know that yet, but maybe, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, it's a long way to go just not to miss on Michael Thomas. Right. (laughs) Like when there's one guy, you're just trying to get into the top area of your ranks. Like if everything else is looking good, why fuck with it? Like I'm okay missing on those few guys. Like Terry McLaurin looks like he's one who's going to be another outlier to be fair. And, but I'm okay. Not okay. Like I want to get it right by listening to more information, but I'm okay with production missing on a few but getting the majority right, or at least getting me closer to who the guys that I want are, rather than adjusting fucking everything for the sake of those few and then maybe missing on some of the guys who would have got right anyway. Like, you miss Stefan Diggs and and T.Y. Hilton if you're too busy looking at the guys that are higher drafted and more underproductive and you're worried about sorting out which ones actually turned out to be good. Like, that that's what this has done. It got, it got us... It's not even the first-round picks. It's T.Y. Hilton. It's Stefan Diggs. Diggs it's Adam Thielen. Yeah. It's these guys that are further down, that are less cheap. Those are the guys I'm, I'm mostly searching for. I'm not even worried about the first-round players. I'll take the consensus, right. whatever. But it's the guys that drop into that... You can take anyone you want. You know, in your second and your third random rookie drafts, you're pretty much... It's the Wild West. You take who you like, right? And I'd rather be swinging for the Stefan Diggs, Terry Kill with less draft capital with book production then just out there swinging left and right, just desperately trying to find the next Terry McClellan because there's almost a player like Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, every year there's some guy who's lower drafted that no one really mentions or likes that much. Maybe some do, but he was really productive and he lands in a decent situation and he looks good by numbers like what I've been talking about and those guys I'm searching for. But this year was didn't uh, so far isn't working out. Those guys were... Um, Andy okay. Isabella. I know you. And, and they were JJ Sega Whiteside. So, and Terry McCollum hit. So maybe we don't get those guys. What about, De- what about Deontay, <laughs> Deontay Johnson from Pittsburgh? Did your model like him? Yeah, it looked good. He looked good, yeah. especially for his draft capital. And that, that's the way I've taken to looking at it. Like if he was, what? Well, he was fourth round. Like I think he was fourth round. round. So. Yeah. No. I actually, you know, I didn't mention him a lot last year because everyone liked him because they were using the Pittsburgh rule, and that's not something <laughs> like that's not the way I look right. at things, right? Uh, not this team dress good boy. It's interesting, but it, like, I know that's weird. Um, but he did show out. Like he was more productive than Henry Ruggs, just to throw a name out there for you. Um, but he looked good. He broke out at age twenty-one, which was a little later. So I didn't mind getting him in the third round, but I wasn't pushing for him in the second. There, I was looking for Andy Isabella. To be honest with you, who you know, I still have a lot of hope for. JJ Sega Whiteside, though, I'm worried about man. Just to take us out of rookies here for a second, what did you think of his first year? He was barely on the field, but did you see him play a lot? 
I didn't see him play a lot, and I did not. I was not in love with his Stanford tape. I, I just, I was not on board with that 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 guy all draft season. Yeah, yeah my model. My... He was a little touchdown dependent, which makes me worried. Like he looked good in Dominator, but not in MS Yards. There, but he was still, you know, he was on the average. Um, but he seems to be more of a touchdown guy, and he didn't get a lot of that this year. Is there any other wide receivers you want to highlight? Like, you don't think everyone will be on them? Yes. 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 Antonio Gandy-Golding. And I know you you mentioned him with with your top five, but I've got got some questions for you, Peter. I've got some questions for you because I like (laughs) him too. He passes my eye test. I like his size. I like what I've seen from him. But he played at Liberty. He played... At Liberty, I expect him to dominate. That lower I expect level. him to dominate. If he didn't go out there and command ninety percent of the market share and ninety percent of the, the the touchdowns, I mean, I know it's not that high. I'm being facetious, but if he didn't dominate Liberty in the competition that he faced, that's somebody I really wouldn't expect to do it. So not only did he dominate from a number standpoint, he passes the eye test, but there are people out there who say he played at Liberty and. You know, those receivers, the level of competition, draft capital, whatever you want to say. What are, what are your thoughts on somebody like a Gandy Golden? It's really weird. This is all falling into a similar conversation because, you know, I literally do no planning for this. Anyone who's been here can contest <laughs> that we just start talking. But that's exactly what we're talking about, right? I don't know of a way to adjust, but it does seem very fair. <laughs> but he did do what you would expect a good player to do on Liberty, like you said. And I, I guess that's as much as we can say. Um, now, mostly with these players, that play at a slightly easier competition level, according to people that watch fucking college, um, and and do what we expect good players to do at lower competition level. Um, let me just skim across here. I, I will say I only have two years. I assume he played at an easier conference level first. Do you know that? I, I, I don't know where he was prior to... Yeah, I assume he played before he was 20 years old. But that, to me, indicates a player who stepped up in competition and still dominated. I think that's a positive thing, too. But mostly with these players, I assume, and what normally happens is draft capital sorts him out a little bit. He's not going to be a top... He's not going to be drafted in the first two rounds. Sometimes it happens and it's a little tilting uh, because he's going to be more highly valued. Like, uh, the step to the NFL is going to be harder for him. We've definitely seen that. Like, even Adam Thielen took two years before he really was able to do anything and he was coming from a lower competition level. So we can expect that. Um, but like I said, he did what you would expect a gr- good player to do at a lower conference. He just utterly dominated. Um, so I guess that's what I'd say with him. I think he's going to be lower drafted, and that's going to put him at a better value range that I want to take a swing on. He's the kind of guy I'll be drafting over Henry Ruggs, with assumed draft capital included, you know? Just because he was productive when he got where he played. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. One pet theory I have, and I haven't, again, it's something I like, but I haven't found anything to like put a number to. So this is like one of the stories I give into. <laughs> I'm always complaining about other people's stories, but do you think draft capital can be negative? Like some players, they need to be drafted later. Like I, I still think if Philip Dorsett was drafted a little later, he might've been able to do a little more and he's been a good NFL player, but not a fantasy player, you know? What's the story and behind that? Like, what is, I, what is your theory behind that and why? <coughs> 
Well, it's just a few little trends that I've noticed. Like, wide receivers drafted in the first round that don't break out in the first three years, they tend never to break out. But wide receivers with less draft capital sometimes break out in year four, sometimes break out in year five or year six. Um, undrafted free agents famously have a, have a, not famously, but it's something that I looked at, like their potential breakout curve happens later than people drafted in the first three rounds. Like you can hang on to them a little longer, hang on to hope maybe, because they typically break out. Their average breakout year is all, is further along in their NFL career than p- players drafted for rounds one to three. And it's just a few little things like that that make me think, and Michael Mike Williams is perhaps another good name to put on this. Like I liked him, then he got injured and came back not the same player, which makes perfect right. sense. Like that guy was almost right. crippled by that injury. Like it's not like oh he was underproductive. It's like yeah you'd expect, but because I saw that, I wondered if it's going to take him a while before he is what he was. Like he, I think at one point he was expected yeah. not to walk yeah. again. Like, he this he guy's broke his marble, neck. He broke his neck. That. I mean, yeah, literally. And in the NFL, he was drafted in the first round, and I kind of hated that because of my pet theory. Like, I liked him at age 19, and then this injury, and he's not the same guy. And I just worried that when you draft a player in the first three rounds, if he doesn't break out year one to three, they tend not to break out. And I worried he would need that longer curve. Because he, he's coming back from... And then in the first year in the NFL, he got injured again. Mm-hmm. Different injury, but still... And he actually had one... And last year, he wasn't bad. He's been more of a touchdown guy, but he's had an impressive college... Uh, NFL career so far, I think, yeah. compared to most, but not you know great for fantasy, but okay. Um, and it just made me think like if this guy was drafted in the second round, expectations wouldn't Agreed. have been as high Agreed. as earlier. And so my pet theory is when an NFL team drafts you that high, they want rookies to prove it. They want them to earn their place in the squad. They're not going to throw them opportunity. But if you're a first round pick, you are going to get deferential treatment, but you're also going to get deferential criticism yes. almost like by year three you're yep. not doing anything we paid you a million dollars or whatever it is like stop giving him the ball stop giving him the ball or what or you know that's a story it's completely fictional but just based on a few little things i noticed i wonder if that's true or something like that is true now Devonte parker is an exception to that rule something that disproves it but like miami dolphins are weird when it comes to wide receivers and they kept believing in him. And this is all story. All story, not analytics. And they kept saying he was good in practice. And it's just not turning up on the field. And he kept getting that opportunity. So he might be an exception to the rule rather than something that disproves it, if you know what I mean. So, I don't know. Like, some players... I don't think I can identify which ones all the time. But some players, I think, might benefit from not having such high expectations. A hundred percent. I think I think that is the reason, though. That I think that is the reason. If you're drafted in the first round, the expectation is I need production. They, you know, sooner rather than later. Opposed to, I, I, I know this is the the absolute worst example to use right now. And Antonio Brown, who was picked in the what fifth round or sixth round, whatever he was picked in, and he starts out on special teams and he shows a little bit on punt return and he's a situational role player on offense and then he continues to keep grinding away and then that talent prevails and then he's you know all pro NFL wide receiver so I do I I don't think you're off because Ted Ginn was picked I think Ted Ginn was picked by the Dolphins in the top 10 uh some years ago and it just didn't work out for him 
in Miami, that pressure to be that number one. They kept trying to force it, and it did not happen. So I don't think you're off with this one at all. It does put them in, and the other thing is it does players break out less often the less draft capital they have. That's why it has more signal than any one single thing. So it's not like I want them to be undrafted or I want them to be a six-round pick. Like Antonio Brown's like the only six-round pick to break out, let alone ever do... Right. You know, he's only some of the, one of the only players to do what he's done and by any measure. So that's a little hard. And I'm not saying he wouldn't have been great if, he drafted, was, if someone noticed the obvious traits that he definitely had and drafted him in the third... I'm not saying he wouldn't have broken out, but like, you know, life's funny and history's funny as well. And especially when we're dreaming of predicting the future, like there's a million doors in front of you and there's one path. There's one path for all of these guys to follow. And they don't even know, you know, you're walking with a blindfold. And if you put a foot wrong, you end up on one of those trajectories for your future, that alternative dimensions where you're not a good NFL player. So like, that's why it's not predictive. It's not something I'm going to, weight right. in a model or anything but i do wonder about it um like so and so when i look at someone like golden gandy golden fun name great productive in college played at a lower competition i do like that he probably stepped up in competition and handled it well like dominated the first year he played again in, in the higher level like um kenny Golladay did that but i i hope he's not a day one day two pick yeah. almost almost yeah. i don't know Okay, um, I'm cutting off part two right here. Have you noticed what's happened? Um, Ray is better than me in so many ways, but including at podcasting. This has become him interviewing me on my podcast. I don't know how I let that happen. I shouldn't. I've got a man on the show that's played college football. He played with Danny Woodhead. He knows Jalen Ragor personally, and he's interviewing me. God, I'm bad at this. Um, But I just... At this point, it's probably pretty noticeable that both of us have pretty much forgotten we're recording. We're just having a conversation. And Ray is way too easy to talk to. But again, I want to stress here, Ray is someone you should check out. Go check out the DP, DDP, did it again. Um, he, he's got a, a deep knowledge of football, an actual experience with football, and a knowledge of players on a level that I'll never have. So if, if you take nothing else from this podcast... It's that you should go listen to Ray more, um, or for the first time maybe. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully, if you know Ray, you, you like. You, if you know me, you definitely have already listened to Ray. Hopefully, that's the case. Um, anyway, I'm cutting off part two here to keep it towards that 30 minute mark, and we will see you again in part three when we talk more about KJ Hamler, and also get into some more really interesting conversations about how to form opinions and how we try to um, uh, develop them as well. All right, um, see you in part three. Thanks again for coming to Crossroads. Bye. Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Whoa. 
Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that I like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and they on the place, though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and they on the place, though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical